Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Runners Only with Dom Harvey. That's me. On this episode, Reese Darby. <laughs> Why should it happen to him? And look, I don't have the answers for that. I came from nothing. You know, I was brought up by mum who was on the benefit and we lived in a, a two-bedroom flat. Uh, she had a room. I had a room. She didn't have a job. And I didn't have anything, and so I just had dreams. And so why can't a kid who uh, didn't come from anything make it through his uh, manifestation of what he believed he wanted out of life? Mm. Reese really is a New Zealander that needs no introduction, but I will jog your memory with a slither of his work. Since leaving the army and making one of the most bizarre career transitions ever and becoming a comedian, he pretty much became the unofficial third member of Flight of the Concords along with Brett and Jermaine. And since having a crack at acting, he's been in films like Yes Men with Jim Carrey, Jumanji with Dwayne Johnson, Love Birds, The Boat That Rocked, Hunt for the World of People, the list goes on and on. His most recent work at the time of recording this was the Netflix series Our Flag Means Death with his mate Taika Waititi. I honestly reckon I've interviewed Reese maybe a dozen times, 15 times on the radio over the years, but this is the first time I've ever gone below the surface level with him, and I loved it, and I hope you do too. All right, let's get into it. Reese Darby. Hey, runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is runners only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey. This is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, any way you coming. Uh, just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Reese Darby. Yes. In my house, in my podcast studio. Thank you very much for coming over, mate. I really appreciate it. No worries. Lovely place. Very cosy. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, a lot of people will be wondering, and I'm wondering as well, what are, what are you doing on a running-themed podcast? Well, I was thinking about that. <laughs> uh, and, of course, I do run. Uh, so it's a good way to keep fit. So I think I do fit in. Yeah, you do? You yeah, do run? Yeah, I do run. Yep. Always been a runner. Hence the massive calf muscles. Look at those. They, they are. Actually, um... Oh shit! They are sizable. They um, you you are looking buff at the moment. Oh, come on. You no, I mean, you, do you work out? You go to the gym? I, I I don't go to the gym, but I do I do work out. I have a Peloton. Uh, you know the bike, oh, the bike system. Uh, yeah. Big in America. I don't even know if you can get them here, but it's basically an exercise bike. Uh, with with live video feeds to uh, hilarious people teaching you and uh, <laughs> classes and whatnot. I generally just use the uh, the other system, which is where you've just you know you're on a on a video road and you can be at these different places and on the globe. And I listen to my own music and really it's just like escapism for forty five minutes or whatever I do on it. Um, so that's fun and that just keeps me in shape. And mm. then I also uh, run as well. I enjoy jogging, uh, so I'll do that. Once or twice a week as well, if I can. Yeah, because you're in, you're in New Zealand a bit, but you're also in, in LA. So you just run. Do you run in the um in the the hills around yeah, LA, or so just I, from home? I do. I, I have a little home circuit around the neighbourhood. 
but also I do uh, a track up into the hills, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there, there's another couple of links um, between you and running that I, that I found. First of all, um, uh, you were in a video recently with Prince Harry. Oh, yes. You, you share with him a fun fact about running, which, which is true. Roger Tui, I have him in my sights. And by my sights, I mean my eyesights. Oh, okay, he's, oh, he's fast. I'm going in, over, out. Oh. Uh, hi. Are you okay? Yeah, I, I haven't run in a while. <laughs> you know, we actually invented jogging. The Australians? No, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Oh, terribly sorry. I know you guys hate that. Kia ora. Mm, I thought that was odd. I love that fact. And right. It doesn't make any sense, but... Uh, <laughs> no, because... Yeah. So, uh, did you, when you read the script, did you think it was a joke? Well, no, because it's my script. Okay. I wrote it. Thank okay. you, Don. <laughs> Come on, I write my own stuff, guys. Uh, no, I bet it was one of the few occasions I did, I did, uh, did write that one. And yeah, I've always liked that little uh, that little gem of a nugget, which is that you know New Zealand invented jogging. Yeah, which which does seem weird because it's like a country claiming they invented walking. Exactly. Yeah. It's which, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's... there was running, and then there was walking, and but no one knew the in, in, in the middle bit until they saw some Kiwi like struggling along. <laughs> hey, what do you call that pace? <laughs> uh, jogging. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so how did that come about? The, um, the, the Harry the, one. Yeah, the Prince Harry thing. Yeah. Uh, well, um, my friend Leon, who works for Augusto uh, here in New Zealand, uh, they had the contract to uh, create this uh, piece of media with uh, Harry. And uh, so I got the call, obviously, good mate. Hey, hey, could you jump in on this bandwagon? Uh, get to meet Harry, absolutely, you know. And, of course, I looked into what it was all about and uh, it was sustainability and, uh, you know, uh, which is very important tourists uh, getting rated themselves rather than the place mm. that they're touring, which I think is a great idea because it, it, uh, the onus is on us to be good people. And that's yeah. the number one thing, I think, in the world that's going to take us through into a better future. Mm. Yeah, for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's, um, it's no doubt on YouTube where it'll live forever. But yeah. in, in a nutshell, um, Harry's out, out jogging and you're basically stalking him, hiding in the bush. And yeah. you, you hit him up with a um, fruit burst wrapper that he left on a beach in New Zealand many years earlier. That's right. It's a, yeah. great, it's a great concept. I yeah. love it. Thank you. And then, yeah, so we, we kind of did that. Um, and... No idea how his uh, his movement has has progressed from that point, but um, I was just happy to do a creative piece of art with the guy, and uh, that promotes something that I think, uh, yeah, is important. And how does something like that work? Like how much how much time do you do you have with him? Uh, does he, does mm. he just turn up and do the thing? And uh, you, you know what I mean? Is there much yeah, downtime? It was, much chatting? It was, a, it was a special event for sure. We were we filmed at a uh, non disclosed location. Uh, well, you can disclose it now. <laughs> no, I still can't. I still can't. <laughs> I had to sign a uh, NDA. Why is it where he where he exercises? Pretty much, off, right? right. Yeah, like, so it was a special place, and uh, and then of course the scripts had to go back and forth, and he had to be happy with what was going on. He was happy to work with me. That was one of the big draw cards. Another reason I think I got the job was because you know he he was a fan of my comedy. Hopefully, still is now that he's part of it, and uh, and so. Uh, so that came into fruition. Uh, it took took a while, actually. Um, and then, yeah, we had to have a very small unit of people that were allowed on this particular property. And, yeah, it was, it was one of those events that I say yes to because, you know, it's um, 
once in a lifetime opportunity, perhaps. Absolutely, it is. Like Absolutely. Couple of couple of gingers together doing that. Actually, you're yeah. are you blonde now? Have you I'm dyed your skin now? Yeah, my ginger days are done. Because <laughs> I'm sick of that nickname. <laughs> Luscious locks is my new one. Uh, yeah. LL LL cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> have you heard the phrase glow up? Yes, I have. Everyone talks about you being like a glow up, like a the the epitome of a glow up. That's weird. Do you, do you, do you feel you are? Getting better looking as you age? I, I mean, I don't understand the glow up. Uh, like For me, it sounds like, yeah, and I think, you know, Hollywood has come in and there's been some money spent. So that whether it's a tanning <laughs> thing or a hair, colouring, yada, 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 teeth whiten, etc. I haven't really done half of those things. Uh, but because of the show I was on, you know, my hair was changed and I, I do have good hair. So that's that's a big thing. In terms of getting better looking as you get older, that's certainly a bit of a man thing for sure, and I'm happy with it. Uh, when I was younger, I was definitely very dorky looking, and uh, I had a lot of confidence, but nowhere to take it to, and certainly no no one to take it to with. There, there's another link with you and running. Um, we're recording this in July 2022, and this clip recently um, had, had the internet. A Vanity Fair clip with you and our Taika Waititi. You, you talk about your running style compared to Tom Cruise's. Um, would you say you're a better runner than him, that man? Uh, I mean, you know, he's got a famous run. It's full on. Uh, Choose your words carefully here, mate. He's, a, he's an incredible runner. Yeah. He's top I mean, of his no, game I'm in the not. Department. Yeah, you're right. I'm not as good as him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he has such a. Uh, his movie running is. Style, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. what is it? Can you explain? You're well, it's, like, it's, it's a sprint, isn't it? It's yeah. a manic sprint. It's a manic sprint that seems to go on forever. <laughs> Faster than Usain Bolt. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And I think that, and, you know, dare I say it, he's obviously a lovely man, but it's, it's pretty much out there that he is, you know, on the shorter side. And I think if you're short, you've got little limbs. You know, you're moving them faster, right? <laughs> yes. And, you know, you're a tall man. I, myself, I'm... I'm, I'm Lengthy in the mm-hmm. in the limbs, and so I can't move them that quick. So when you're like when you're doing that thing, you know, it's <laughs> like that's what he would be doing. But for me, I'm more of a I see more a, like a more of a gazelle in me, like a or even a um, you know a large sort of ostrich, right? <laughs> stretching out, no 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 arms required. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's go um, let's go all the way all the way back. There's so much about the, you that we do know, like career wise, um, but there's so much that we that we don't know. So first of all, like, where were you born and raised? How many siblings? Oh, geez. Uh, let me just check my files. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was born in Auckland, Middlemore Hospital, one of five, but uh, the the baby after a nine year gap. Uh, so definitely a mistake. Uh, the other, the other four, uh, yeah, were, were my my brother is nine years older than me, and then the other three beyond there, I got three sisters older than him, and there's like a two year or one year gap sort of between between those guys. So then there's me. So very much uh, when I when I arrived, it was just uh, mum and dad split up at that point as well. So I was r- raised by my mother uh, on her own. Uh, my brother was there for me for a little bit, but then he took off when he came of age. And so I really, most of my childhood was just me and mum and also my Nana who lived down the road. Um, and yeah, so that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell is, um, sort of very sort of, um, feminine, uh, energy upbringing and energy, which which is really good, I think. But I did lack because I lacked the masculinity, um, I found myself either, well, obviously I ended up joining the army 
And even before then, from the age of 12, I was wearing uniform in the Air Training Corps, then the Army Cadets. And I felt like structure and a bit of um, a bit of man discipline, if you will, was something that maybe I felt like I needed. Certainly mum thought it would be good. She was worried about me being a teenager, falling on the wrong sides of the tracks like one of my uh, other sisters slightly did. And, uh, did so she? I, in what way? Oh, just, you know, probably during the parents' divorce and all that kind of stuff. Right, she acting out a little. Acting out, you know, getting involved in um, a bit of, uh, you know, uh, nefarious behaviour. What the is word? it? What, I don't know. What does that word mean? I don't know. It just came <laughs> to me. I don't even know <laughs> if I said it right. <laughs> that. Stuff that's not like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Or, well, you know, well like, like drugs, alcohol, what? Yeah, exactly. Right. Or did you, you know, and, and you know, uh, did you steal that? What did you, you better take that back right. to the shop. <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of thing, you know, like... Um, also, so, she so, was in a motorbike gang for a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, trail bikers, though. Nothing nothing untoward. No. <laughs> okay. Here I am thinking, like, Comancheros or yeah, Mungramov. No, 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 no. They were dirt bike gang. All right. So, uh, but they had very loud motorbikes, like Honda 250s. Uh, and then my brother was part of it as well. And they used to they used to kind of – it was kind of cool, really, looking back. Mm. I remember I must have been about five or six watching the, watching this sort of happen. Um, but yeah, so anyway, it turns out there was no way I was going to be, uh, the wrong side of the tracks guy, uh, very much a little geek, a little, you know, not, I was going to say nerd, but no, I'm not smart enough for that. Definitely a weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so Pakaranga is, is where I spent most of my childhood. Yeah. You're how old now, and how old is your, your eldest sister, so the, the eldest in the family? Yeah, so I'm 48 now, right. uh, dare I say it. Uh, and so my sister Shelley, I mean, I don't even know how old they are, but she had her 60th a few years ago, but right. they're all over 50 now. Yeah. My, she must be nearly 60. They're all, they're all, we're all getting too old. It's, it's mm. not nice to think about. Are you, are you quite a close family or not really? Um, we're a big family yeah. and yeah, we get together, um, you know, once a year, uh, the ones that live here, I think they see each other more often, but we have a, like a, um, a, uh, a text group, um, but yeah, we're kind of spread out, but um, not as close as, as some families. But mm. I don't. Th- I think being too close can actually be a hindrance to everyone's happiness in some ways. Yeah, so I think yeah. I think we're pretty much a classic kind of New Zealand um, Pakeha family in that regard. That we um, we know each other, but we know when to not bother with each other. Mm. So, if, if if your siblings are going to LA, would they would they hit you up for accommodation or uh, would they? <laughs> Um, possibly, that, yeah, but yeah. I don't think they would go. No, they can't afford to get over there. <laughs> that's not happening. Yeah, that sounds a little bit like like my family. Uh, I, I don't know the, the this girl I'm seeing at the moment. Her family is super super tight, and the parents are still together. And it, I, I feel kind of envious in a way. Yeah, it's not very common for the parents, especially from you know our generation, for the co- parents to still be together and things mm. like that. Which are, they should be proud of that. Yeah. And you and I are about the same age, and I, so I suppose we, we were raised watching the same sort of TV shows, which were sure. American sitcoms, yep. where the, the families are still together. And, and what's your relationship like with your, with your dad now? Do you have well, much to do with him? Or? Both passed away, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, my dad and I, we're not close, um, but we share you know, similar aspects, definitely. So when I am with, when I was with him, I could see uh, myself in him for sure. But... Um, yeah, sense of humour was was something that I definitely got from him. But other than that, or oh, maybe some dancing skills and these amazing legs. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so so why the army? First of all, were you yeah. funny? Were you funny at school? Like we, yes, you, yes, yeah, you were. I was the class clown for okay. sure, and I um, I disrupted class on occasion <clears throat> with ridiculous answers that you know I said only because they would get a laugh. Uh, and I was the weird kid, and I would do a lot of drawings, and I sometimes I couldn't really um, take in what the teacher was going on about, so I would just draw, and other kids. Um, loved my little comic drawings and they would just come to class and go, okay, get stuck into your drawing. You know, we need this week's comic. So I would, I wouldn't even be like listening to class. I'd be doing, what are you doing race? I'm doing my comic. I'm going to get through this. I've got three boys lined up here. So I'd do that. prepared you for the, um, the, the, the book writing deadlines. Exactly. You had later in life. Yeah, exactly. So, which I enjoyed. And that was kind of later on in, 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 in high school. I've had Mike King on the podcast and we talked about, his introduction to comedy, and he had almost a similar route to you in that he was in the navy, right? Um, right. And I said, "Well, what, what, if you were funny, why didn't you just gravitate like straight towards comedy?" And he said, "There was no sort of path yeah, there. There was nothing then. And, was and that the, the same sort of thing? You were a little there was younger nothing than around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there were the comedians we knew of, were the ones from TV, obviously, or the icons, uh, and they were sort of a different thing. There wasn't any comedy clubs. There wasn't a burgeoning scene for youngsters to go and grab a microphone and." Well, that's, um, that's my dog. He's scratching the carpet. Something's scratching underneath me, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay, I know what it is, so I'm okay with it now. <clears throat> Stop it! Stop scratching! You can't go to another man's house and tell his dog off. <laughs> oh, shit, I'm still learning about dog behavior. Sorry. Uh, keep going. Lovely. That feels nice. It's just new carpet. Yeah, so there, there wasn't – so I for me, and I, I was obsessed with uh, sketch comedy, British stuff in particular, obviously Monty Python and, uh, you know, anything Rowan Atkinson was involved in. Um, so I wondered about how to get there and would that be something I could get into. But being young and being 17, uh, it, because there was no door open for that, especially at that time – I went down the the route of the military because that was my other uh, passion. I liked um, uh, everything about uh, the military for some reason. And I think looking back, it's because maybe I'm, uh, in those days there was no ADHD kind of diagnosis type thing or anything right. like that. But I'm thinking to myself, I like structure and I like, I've, you know, since, since then have been looking, I haven't still have not, got myself diagnosed about anything uh, because I'm confident with who I am and, and, and how I can operate. But I like um, lists of things and I like order very much so and structure. And there's nothing more structurally ordered than, than military. Mm. And so once I got involved in that and um, kind of even the ranking system really uh, impressed me and how to, you know, get to the next rank. And, um, and then all the, the training and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. For some reason, I was into it, and um, and then I got into war history as well. And so that was a for me. It was like a, it was that, and then there was animals. I used to classify all animals. I used to be able to name. What, what do you mean you classified them? Well, well, I cla- I had like by size or <laughs> alphabetical order uh, by where they were from, right. what continents they. <laughs> What continents they were from, the speed of land animals, their lifespan, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was just into that kind of stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, it's weird. Wow, you're a weird dude. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and then um, once I got into the military and I 
I was good at certain things in there, sort of like marching, uh, very good at the discipline, doing what I was told. Uh, but, uh, and also, you know, um, so this is the actual military now, not just the cadets. Um, the physical aspects of it, I was very good at as well. I was, I was fit and I could carry the 25 kg pack and I could dig the holes. Um, but here's, here's what happened to me. Maturity hit. So I was very late to mature. So I didn't even have any sexual urges till I was about 19 or 18. Right. What do you, what do you mean no sexual urges? Well, like, you know, fancying someone. Right. And really? Wanted, yeah. Like I wasn't really interested. I was still playing with my toys and skateboarding and things right up until my late teens. And so then when I started thinking... Were, of, were, were you worried about that? I was a, like you, a late developer as well. Yeah. And I remember one of the one of the saddest moments ever was um, maybe my 13th birthday, me and my best friend Aaron, we went to McDonald's for my mm-hmm. birthday dinner. And I wanted to play in the, in the, in the, the play park. And he was just like too old or too cool for oh, it. Oh, really? And it was, it was a heartbreaking moment. It was like we were going in different directions and then yeah, yeah, he reached yeah. puberty and I didn't. Oh, but, that's so all, cute. All your, <laughs> all your friends peeling off taking an interest in girls, getting girlfriends or whatever, were you not like, fuck, what's wrong with me? Uh, no, because my three friends, none of them peeled <laughs> off to go and get right. with a girl. <laughs> so it's in this book. It's called The Dicks Club. You know, right. you're supposed oh, yeah. to have read this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dangerous Intelligence Commandos. We didn't have girlfriends, okay? <laughs> right. Um, I said, going back to something you said before, um, I, another, I another parallel, I, I reckon I'm ADHD as well, or definitely on the spectrum somewhere, yeah, sure. but uh, being a similar age, nothing was ever diagnosed. Do you think having a label on anything would, would change anything no. or help anything? No. I, I don't think that, I think that's why I haven't bothered with it. I've just, I'm pretty sure, definitely spectrum me, but so are some of my friends and we, now our children, yes, we would get them diagnosed or we would, so you can know how to operate with them and, and uh but even then um you know i don't think it's something you necessarily have to do unless the kid is clearly quite far on the spectrum and then you obviously you can you, you know you do need to deal with it but like i think i can float i'm i'm a floater you know and i'm yeah. not someone that you go oh i think he needs to, he needs to have a bit of um special help this guy um although some would argue uh. <laughs> <laughs> but are you, are you quite good with um, staying focused on a task and being organised, or do you, do you like rely quite heavily on your wife for that now? She's your manager. I, she does everything for me. Yeah, and, and so for me, uh, anything to do with filling out forms or um, you know, <laughs> swatting, you know, uh, studying. Yeah. Uh, I think I think New Zealand we say swatting. I don't know whether we still do. Um, we also swat flies. Uh, but anyway, studying. Uh, what are you swatting? Flies. Okay, you got a, you got a paper coming out. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hard at it. Uh, so anything like that, I find. Yeah, I, I it's it's a struggle, and also just reading. Like reading a book, I've got it'll take me a month. You know, where it'll take my wife. You know, three or four days. I'll right, because your mind wanders when you're reading, or no, I'm you... just I um, maybe I'm just slower at it. Right. Or as I'm reading it, I'm really I take in every word, and she just like skim reads. Right, you know I don't know what you're like, but like she'll just I don't understand how she says. Oh yeah, I'm just going to read this page. Da 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 da. da. Yep, okay. And I'm like, wait, did you? What about the detail? You know what? You know. Ooh. And so I'm a very detail orientated, and so I I would read. I'll read each word, and then like 
imagine it as it's happening and go, oh, wow. And then he went over there and said hello. Hello. It <laughs> <laughs> takes me a month to get yeah. through that. I'm the same. And when I was writing my books, dealing with book publishers, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you should read this book. I read it yesterday afternoon. It's amazing. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, you read a book in an afternoon? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah That's I'm... too much. I can't see how people can do that. Yeah. yeah. So, so back to the military thing. So with your mind the way it works, you, so you were like a Morse code guy, right? Mm-hmm. You were a Morse code expert. Weren't you thinking, this is a waste of time. Like, what am I going to need this information for? When am I ever going to use Morse code? No, because I was in the military. I was a communications electronics operator. I was proud of my job. I was in the Signals Corps, Royal New Zealand Signals. And, uh, and this was my job. And so I was just tapping away on this Morse code thing. And I was imagining that pretty soon we're going to go to some conflict. I'm going to be in a tent and I'm going to be, the messages are going to be coming in. And I'm writing them down and then the officer will come in. What? What's the message? Sig Darby. Now, there you go, sir. Now, they're on their way. The packages are on their way. So a lot of my life is filled with the imagination of what I'm doing. And then if I was to snap out of it and go, hang on, nobody uses Morse code anymore. If you know it and it's a universal language, then yeah. the enemy will know it as well. So they'll yeah, exactly right. No, <laughs> so because it's so words. old, the enemy doesn't use it anymore. It's got, it's, that's why it's really useful. New Zealand, yeah. you know, they clocked onto that. Like, Hang yeah. on, no one else is using this anymore. So, so, so how does it go from the military to to comedy? Was there is yeah. there an overlap where you're still earning money with Always your day funny job in the in the yeah. in, in, in school? Funny in the army as well, and got told off more in the army, obviously, for being funny. Uh, like, Why? Because it's stricter. Yeah. yeah, and it's like there's no need for that. Like you know, but there, um, there, there's a big difference though because there's a lot of there's a lot of class clowns in life, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of f- funny people in life. But there's a, there's a big difference between someone that can do that and someone that can engage an entire auditorium. Yeah, I think this class clown is 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 a dangerous territory for for military because that's <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine with live ammunition yeah. and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> But someone who's like, you know, we're heading into a, a battle scenario and someone's got their vest on backwards and go, and you know, starts walking backwards going, help me, my vest is weird. It's like, Darby, can you please? And when we used to march, sometimes I'd hold hands with the person in the middle because they couldn't see us, uh, things like that. So just because, I don't know, I can't help it. Um, so there was a point where I started to realise and they brought me into the office and said, you know, I don't know if – if you need to uh, stay in this career, I think this is the, this officer who helped me see my see the light, and he said I should go to university and you know um, be creative and things like that. And uh, so I thought he gave me a couple of pamphlets for Canterbury University, and I said, oh, well, I get time off for this, sir. And he said, oh no, you you'll get a lot of time off for this. <laughs> Leave your beret here, and off you go. <laughs> Uh, so that was it. I was kind of gone right, after that. Right. And I wasn't the only one who left. There was a few others that left with me, my friends, uh, that also had just got to a point where they felt like oh, they wanted to move on. We'd, we'd, and for, for me, it was something I felt like I needed. I needed the discipline. It gave me self-discipline. It gave me um, the not so much the family I never had, but certainly the camaraderie of, of really good friends. And the community. A community yeah, yeah. Is, is something that I, I, I think I craved and, and got from that. Of like-minded people in some regard who uh, were into listing, you know, where animals are from. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, been some fun debates. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what are you talking about? Do you mean Asian elephant or African elephant? Well, how big are the ears? You know. Right, so, okay, so, you're, so you're at university, and yeah. is, is this where you meet 
You met Grant? Yes. Well, no, I met him outside of university. Right. But I'm at university. Uh, I go there. Um, I'm very pretty much on my own there um, because my friend who I left the army with, Luke, uh, he didn't go to university. He went straight into a, a job working in a bar. Um, <laughs> great, great, great step up. Uh, but he, <laughs> nothing against hospitality, of course, always required, especially these days. Love you guys. But <laughs> the damage is done. <laughs> Every time I You're go, to your, I go into a bar, not you, Darby. All right. <laughs> How many people have listened to that running podcast? <laughs> He's not that popular. Yes, he is around these bars. Um, so yeah, I kind of like, uh, I, I felt that, um, I, I met some new friends at university, but the biggest part there was, was getting involved in the club and society situation, which I didn't even know was going to be a thing. But there was a day, which I think is still a thing, where they have clubs and societies, and one club, with it, uh, basically, that was uh, introduced to me was the comedy club. And uh, so Guy Roberts was sitting behind the desk. He saw me walking um, across the courtyard and yelled out, Hey, you! And then he pointed to the comedy sign. I don't know, maybe it was my walk or just my general demeanor. <laughs> but I, I came over and uh, I signed up straight away because I thought, well, there's one thing I know I'm good at. And uh, so I joined this comedy club. Then I had my new community and we, we met once a week. We wrote sketches. We put on a show. And then when I worked outside of uh, university, like a, my part-time job, uh, I, that's where I met Grant because that was at the Excalibur's Theatre Restaurant. Uh, so I was a theatre restaurant uh, waiter. Mm. So, so, so you you were in the hospitality, now you're shitting on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So can you remember your first time on, on stage, on your own? Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, well, first time doing stand-up, the one that, that comes to mind is actually when, talking about Mike King earlier, when he came down, I think, with um, uh, Andy Clay and it was a stand-up tour those two, and they they would go to um, this was way before the classic was even a thing. They would they went on this little tour um, of 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 New Zealand, and every little city they went to, they put on a night whereby local people could get up on stage and do an right. open mic slot, right. and that was advertised. And I remember seeing that in the paper: um, comics required uh, <clears throat> or whatever, like you know. Try hards, give it a give it a whirl. I don't know what it said, but uh, I, I put my name down for it, and I because you know it was just a, I, it was a thing that I was. And so I, I that was my first five minutes, and I remember doing it. It went okay. I had a bit about fishing, uh, and I remember I did some definitely did some Frank Spencer impressions, you know. Which, <laughs> so you're right. so this was like twenty five years ago. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, wait, right. Yeah, even even further back than that. Okay. So this okay. is before I really started. So. Right. But because um, I was definitely late coming to comedy mm. because, you know, I did all those other cool things. These days, kids are getting into it when they're 14, yeah. you know, which is which is great. But yeah, I suppose because there's that, that – do, do you know about the uh, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000-hour theory? Yes, yes. Yeah, so it's like 10,000 hours to reach um, mm-hmm. sort of expert level. And he took, the example he gives us the Beatles, like they went to Hamburg and were doing like three oh, shows a night. And then yeah. when they got back to Liverpool, they had they'd, – had yeah. so much experience. So I suppose because you were starting so late, you were so much older when you reached that 10,000 hours. I would disagree because I, I – I, I, let's, let's say that I was putting in my 10,000 hours from the age of six or seven and at school, 
as a class clown and in the army, I was still doing it. I was still making people laugh. <laughs> yeah, a minute here, a minute here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, as often as I could. And then also once I got into the scene, uh, you know, proper in, in here in New Zealand uh, with, with Grant and then, and then again after that solo uh, up here in Auckland, I was doing three gigs a week, which was more than anyone. Terry Frisbee and I and uh, Brendan Lovegrove were sort of the, the main ones and there was a few others that were – gigging that often, but I, I really was, was just thanks to Brendan for the most part, just doing any gig. He, he threw my way, um, with him. And then, um, I pretty much, um, got scooped up, uh, after that and, and sent to England, <laughs> not by the government, like, <laughs> all right, here's our greatest comic. <laughs> so the, the army will over again. Reese, we think you should get at university. Yeah, yeah, the government, yeah. Reese, we should, you should go to the yeah. UK. You'll have a lot of time over in the UK. Yeah. Okay? You're being kicked out of the country now. Leave your beret, off you go. What? Come on! Uh, so I went over there, and then uh, I was just, just really dove into the scene. I, I was Edinburgh Fringe Festival first, and then um, and then when I eventually got to London and, and got a comedy agent, you know, I was uh, at the height of my uh, my early stand-up internationally, was doing five gigs a week and sometimes three a night, you know, and I was taking wow. away like a 1,000 pounds in, in an envelope, uh, wow. cash, hard, cold pounds cash. So that was amazing, mm. you know, and, mm. that, and treading the boards that often was not only confusing because you did your same 20 minutes three times a night, uh, but also you really got your skills up. And so I credit that time, which was about six years' worth of doing that, headlining clubs eventually, not straight away, but getting there, uh, to being uh, – and then returning and doing the shows that you would have seen here was because of the skills I, I had from, from those audiences. When did you realise that you, um, you were quite good? Oh, I mean, I'd love to say day one, uh, you know, that <laughs> was, fishing was, bit. <laughs> was, was, was day one disastrous or like five, no, five out no, of ten, six fine. out of ten? It was for me, uh, I was definitely like my own my own personal go at it. Uh, it was definitely a six out of ten. Right. Were you terrified? A strong six. No, because I've been making people laugh all the time. Right. And uh, it was natural to me. Yeah, but, but I think there's a difference between like making people laugh in an environment when they're not expecting it to yeah. a, a New Zealand audience where they're sitting there going, all right then, make us laugh. Yeah, it's a little bit of that, but um, we, because of thanks to university and just like-minded people in that, in that world back in Christchurch, uh, when, you know, I should talk about meeting Rosie and then her, she set up this, uh, this club called The Green Room uh, with her two friends, the, the three of them. From university, they co-owned this this great performance place, um, and they also advertised for performers. And this is when me and Grant had only just started uh, as a duo. Recently, granted was our was our was stage our name, yeah. Yeah, and so we um, ended up performing there. And so the audience was also basically uh, like-minded people from university and all other performers. Okay, and that's the greatest thing about those kind of. Uh, those cafes, those beatnik style artist areas, because everyone else is the same. Oh, yes, that's a friendly audience. It's a friendly yeah. audience, and so our weirdness was kind of celebrated. Right. And then when we, the next thing we did was hit the comedy festivals, and our first show was you know, a half hour show, and we we went to Wellington, we went across on the ferry, and it was a big trip. And um, and I found that Wellington was kind of was a sort of a, a theatre based city as well, mm. and they went the people that came to shows in the festival were people that were going to want comedy and to expect a laugh. They'd paid some money, 
And so they were they were lovely as well. And and our weirdness was good there. So when it got to the point of Auckland was a slightly different matter. You've got different people <laughs> up here, less theatrical and more kind of, all right, all right, mate, what do you got? You know? <laughs> and so there was a definitely a difference there. Um, but, yeah, I think there's something about the fact that our comedy and then further into my solo stuff was it was it was weird. And so it was escapism. It wasn't poking fun at any uh, religion or uh, political um, ideas. It was it was purely sort of fantastical stuff. So really, you couldn't really heckle that stuff. You kind of you know, if I was doing a helicopter impression and then doing uh, showing uh, doing a story about having sex with a mermaid, you know, people aren't going to go, "Oh, that wouldn't happen." It was like, you know, it's, you know what I mean? So, um, so recently granted, what was that? Was it? Did you do songs? Or yeah. Was it? yeah. So he had a bass guitar. Okay. And uh, so I went round to his place and he knew about two chords and they sounded cool to me. He had an amp and he was saying, doom, 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 doom. And I just like chucked down some lyrics about jandals. And then we wrote this song about, about jandals and that became our kind of anthem. He wore jandals, 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 jandals. He used to like the fact that let the air in. He'd come round to my place and you can guess what he was wearing, his jandals. And then from there we, we wrote other songs, uh, A Love Affair with Mrs. Whippy, my, <laughs> my obsession with being a mall guy hanging out in shopping malls, and various other silly songs like that. And then we also we in, um, intersected or interspersed those with, uh, with little sketches that were quite surreal, like the two of us um, uh, doing impressions of frigate birds during uh, mating season. Or um, there was one where he uh, smoking Olympics, where he would he would smoke a cigarette on stage, and I'll do the commentary as he's doing these weird moves, you know, calculator boxing. Remember that that game? Yes, yeah. yeah. We would do that live on stage, including all the sound effects. Would be the two boxers doing the exact moves of that. So there were some nostalgic things there. It was just odd. So was it kind of um, flight of the Concords ish? I don't think so. No, I no. think it's really it's very it was for a start it was before them and then the songs weren't good enough to be anything like theirs. <laughs> uh and the we were more surreal for right. sure. Yeah. You were a big star here in New Zealand. I remember seeing you on the, the comedy gallery every year and you mm-hmm. do your sound effects and stuff. Was was the big breakthrough for you sort of being um Brian Nisbet and the uh the in the BBC radio version of Flight of the Concords? Hello, Brian Nisbet. Oh, Rosie, hello. How are you? It's Brian's wife, Rosie, calling from New Zealand. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm not so good here too. Just cleaning up after the guy. Yeah, well, Brett yelled out, throw us your potatoes. Well, exactly. So there's a mess everywhere and they've taken off. So here I am cleaning up after them. Have you? What's happened? There's trouble brewing back home in Taranaki. Oh, you're joking me. 
was it was that when things sort of no that's a good question that's a good i think i think probably because other than that up until that point you know the comedy duo then my solo efforts and then heading over to edinburgh doing my my solo show there um and that's pretty much when that happened as well i think 2003 i'm guessing i think it was uh the concords were there as well and uh jermaine asked me to to do the voice of the manager to you know he told me what the idea was and so you know i just um helped them sort of create that idea of a, a man who had no idea what he was doing and uh, I did a roll call, you know, just uh, straight off the bat because I thought <laughs> that was the first thing we should do is just like, let's see who's here. And I think that's going going back to my military career. Right. We used to do that there as well. That always uh, when, we, when we're, we've we got a gaggle of soldiers, and I think that's the correct term. Um, you know, <laughs> Pretty you, sure it's not. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the sergeant major would go through and do the names, mainly because he wanted to figure out where Darby was, you know, and quite often I'd be behind him doing an impression of him. But uh, Darby, get out from behind me. Sorry, sir, I thought that was legal now. Get out around there. Come on now. Um, so, yeah. So a lot of that um, Flight of the Concord stuff and the, um, the, the radio, this is the radio series we're talking yeah. about, which is before the TV series, was a lot of that sort of ad-libbed. Oh, yeah, for sure, the whole thing. Yeah, it's funny because we haven't got to this yet in any great depth, but that um, clip that I referenced before, the Vanity Fair one with you and Tyker, um, he calls you, I think, the greatest ad-libber that he's ever worked with. Oh. Yeah, I think something like that. I mean, that's, he, a, that's a massive compliment. It is. Reese Darby is, in my opinion, and the, one of the greatest improvisers I've ever known. Awesome. That's me. You are telling the truth. Oh, thank God. When it comes to my friends, I always tell the truth. It's very lovely to say. I think it is something that I, I do feel proud about because put me in any scene and I immediately feel that it's real and I know where I can go with it. Um, so I don't have to struggle with coming up with words or gags. They just come to me. I don't know w- how. I can't explain it. But um, I could use the old army adage again of having to be adaptable in any situation. But really it doesn't work because in the military you had to just be quiet mm. and you know only, only speak when you're spoken to. So maybe it was years of that, and then finally me being released and <laughs> being able to just like, I've got so many things to say. <laughs> like, a, like a fizzed up can of coke. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know if you spend much time reflecting or anything, but it's fucking crazy to think that there's like yourself, Tyka, um, Brent and Jermaine, uh, mm. you know, four guys, four friends in the same sort of circuit, and you've all done like just phenomenal things in your, in your sphere. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't stop to think about it much because I'm still trying to push for the next thing. I think right. if you rest, uh, you know, then, yeah, it's lovely to think about and be nostalgic and wonder how it happened. But also I feel like as we got older, you've got to keep going and you've got to keep coming up with new ideas. And uh, I think when you look at someone like Taika, you know, gone from strength to strength, and I think um, there's been no kind of slowdown particularly on his part. I mean, myself, um, similar, uh, but yeah, I've, I've really tried to change tack from, from a, a stand up into, uh, into an actor. And that was my mission from, I guess, halfway through the, the stand up career. Uh, because although I find stand up fun to do, um, it's not much of a challenge. It's really quite, you know, well, I don't want to say it's easy for me, but 
I mean, no, but it, but it, it is though, because you've, 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 done, you've done it long yeah. enough that it's yeah. – do, do you not get that uh, sort of adrenaline rush that you should anymore? Um, I still do on stage, which yes. is why I can't wait to do these live shows here in, in New Zealand, uh, and especially with new audiences because I just did a, a East Coast of the US tour – and they'd never seen me before, and they were just very excited just to see my face because they'd seen it on on TV and this this pirate show that I've been making, um, which has a whole new audience. So that was a oh, really cool. Our revamp. flag means death yeah, on Netflix. Death. Yeah. yeah, not just a pirate show. Everyone knows what you. It's a big show. It's a big show. You, no, I, you I and, play you, it down. You and Tyker are both in it, and you, uh-huh. you play like gay lovers. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so it's kind of like uh, you know entertaining a new audience. That's a real lightning bolt up my uh, up my uh, awesome. <laughs> what? What? up my torso. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, How my, does it get yeah, in, in so, your torso? Through the belly button. Sort of, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. My my butt is is fully clenched, so there's no no way of in, entering there. But I think I think. Um, you know, I just love the challenge of acting, and particularly with this Our Flag Means Death, this show, it, it was perfect for me because I got to be the uh, buffoon. I got to be um, the man out of his depth. And I got to do physical comedy. I, I used all my strengths, and then there was a couple that I hadn't really used, and that was the dramatic side of it. And uh, reaching into this character and uh, feeling the trauma that he'd gone through as a kid. And my son actually got to play the younger version of me, um, Theo, and he was fantastic in it. You know, he, he spent a day working with Tyker uh, in these scenes and it was all just vomiting, getting sticks thrown at him uh, and put out in a little dinghy and, and having uh, stones thrown at him, I should say. Uh, there were no sticks. He did run into a tree. I think that's where I got the sticks idea from. So he had to do a stunt. You know, it was like, and at the end of it, he said, oh, "That's it. I'm done with acting. If that's acting, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> offer only from now on." Uh, but he was he was lovely, and 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 so that. But realizing uh, as uh, in this middle aged character that had a um, uh, you know a break away from his normal life to escape a midlife crisis. Um, I could really relate to to him because he had this massive sense of adventure. And that's the same with me growing up, getting to a point where I just want to go, right, I want to leave it all and go overseas. And, you know, you only live once. We've got this whole planet Earth to play on. Let's see what I can do. And um, don't look back. And so I could really relate to this guy. And then it was acting with Taika and these dramatic parts where we're really close to each other. He's His character's gone through a lot of trauma. He doesn't feel loved. I don't feel loved. I have affection for him because he's Blackbeard and he's a hero uh, in the pirate world. My guy has, like, read all the books. It's pretty much the only thing he's good at is reading. Uh, and so now he's living the reality that he thought he would go for. It's kind of like me, like the, the army thing. I used to watch a lot of war movies and I used to read a lot of texts about um, military tactics for whatever reason, and then just imagined myself in it. And then I ended up like biting the bullet, so to speak, and and actually doing it, mm. and and then feeling out of my depth once I was there. Same with Steed as a pirate; he's completely out of his depth, but it's too late. He's there now. Mm. Um, so yeah, I can f- really relate to this guy. Yeah. So 
from, like from a New Zealand perspective, it's just um, it seems like it's success after success. So we're like, oh shit, uh, Reese is do, doing a Nike commercial with Roger Federer, and then a year later, oh shit, Reese is in a movie with uh, Jim Carrey, and then yeah, you know, so on and so forth. But I'm guessing from your perspective, for every one of these jobs that comes through, there's probably another nine that slip through the cracks or whatever. So is it all success, success, mm, success? Is it as easy and perfect as it looks? Yeah, <laughs> or is it? Um, have there been some, some bleak times and some scary times? The only bleak times are really uh, season two of Concords. Um, when that had finished, um, there was nothing else on the table for me. So I, I went back to uh, went back to London and to get back into the stand up scene, and I kind of dropped out of it. Um, we had run out of money because the uh, the the show didn't pay as much as what people think it really did, especially the first season. Oh, when you say we ran out of money, you mean um, my wife and I? Oh, your wife and you, right, and because right. uh, she had to give up her job. Right. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm guessing like Brent, Brent and Jermaine must have done well out of it. Uh, you were getting paid like an actor's fee or whatever. Yeah, they didn't do as well as what people think either. Right. They probably did a bit better than me, but I was yeah, I was on a, on a much more simple simple fee for because you, you imagine um, it's an HBO show, you just mm. assume it's a big budget. Yeah, and that's that's a very uh, Kiwi mentality to think yeah. you know oh, okay, big America thing, you're going to get a lot of money, but it doesn't really happen that way. And yeah. the money does go up the more you stay in the game and uh, with contracts and everything. You know, you get contracted into something, and then you know it depends how good your lawyer is, they can go, okay, the next year of the contract, he's going to get this much more or whatever. But back in those days, we didn't have lawyers or anything like mm. that. It's changed now. Now we yeah. have like a full team of people that look after us. So what America does to you. They kind of grab you <laughs> and they go, okay, you can be part of this, but these people are going to work for you and they're going to give them 10% each. Uh, okay, okay. Don't worry, you're getting a million bucks, but you'll get 300,000 of that. Oh, okay. Love you, man. Yeah, you're the best. You're the best. Yeah, you yeah, go yeah, places. Yeah, yeah. yeah, have a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hand it back on Tuesday. <laughs> how, how long did it take you to, to, to sniff out the bullshit? I'm guessing it's fairly quick. Uh, uh, you go to meetings, you're going to be a star. Baby. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Back in the day, we did the rounds of finding a manager because I have a manager over there. Had one for, I've had one for forever since I was over there. But in the early days, you got to find a manager. Now, with the agent, I was lucky enough to – sign up to the same agency that the Concords already had. And so because I went into doing that show without that. So I'd, I had, uh, I had, um, I think I might've had a, an acting agent here, but it wasn't the one I currently have um, in New Zealand. It was like a, a little ad agency thing that, you know, it was, you know, wouldn't have been helpful at all. And then <laughs> England, I, I, I only had a comedy agent uh, just so basically um, helping me get my stand up gigs so, yeah, I went into, you know, arguably one of the, the deepest pools of brilliance, which is working on television for HBO mm. in America, just a guy who'd done nothing. I mean, I, it was my first acting job. So I just go over there like a, you know, a bright-eyed little cherry, uh, excited to even see the tall buildings, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, and I get to act as well with my buddies, okay. And so you see that when you see the show and you think you could think about that, especially when you see the pilot, which I think we did in 2006 and I've got this big, you know, ginger hair and I'm sitting at this little, the, the whole set is, uh, was very cheaply made at that point. And then I think once we got the series, you know, we, we, um, redid it to make it look as, as though as it was the same, but actually it was a proper building at that point. Um, but yeah, and I've lost track of what I was going to say. Have you heard about the different animals in uh, Madagascar? <laughs> no. 
that. Yeah, so from that, uh, I suppose it led to everything else. You know. Yeah, anyway, I was. Yeah. I've asked, uh, bring me back to like, okay. I had hard times for a while there, yeah. definitely financially, after the, after, believe it or not, after the, after the Concords. Because I didn't know, I was not enough of a name in America to get any, certainly get no stand up work. And even if I did, they don't pay anything over in America unless you're a big name. You've got to do the college circuit or you, 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 you have to, it takes time to become a comic celebrity over there. And that was not going to happen for me. Um, so I went back to where I knew uh, I, I could earn money, and that was back in England. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, um, it was hard. I, uh, we, I, I got the call. I'm going to say, I'm getting this a little bit mixed up. It was after season one that I went back and we had literally had no cash and we had, um, a little toddler at that point. We ended up living in Tooting and, uh, I started getting back on the comedy scene there and that's when, um, the show thankfully blew up. So it was, it, it, MySpace was happening there. We put the pilot out on MySpace. It got many, many views. And then after doing season one, um, Peyton Reed was a big fan of the show. He's a, a director, and he um, emailed me directly, as directors do. It's <laughs> uh, the only way they do <laughs> And he asked me if I wanted to have a role in this new movie, which, which, which Jim Carrey was in. So yes, I was man. like, get out of town. Is this a joke? You know, so I, I landed that role. Is there, then, is there another thing where, where it's shit pay, but you know it's going to be a fantastic opportunity? Uh, no. <clears throat> I mean, in terms of what I was doing, and certainly the pay was okay, mm. you know, but yeah, it's a first movie role. So it wasn't, you know, uh, huge, but it was enough to, and really it's not the pay on these things. It's how they look after you. Right. So they fly us back there first class. They get us a limo from our little, uh, little tiny town that we were in, um, and to the airport and then first class travel. And then, um, they put us up. Uh, in a place for two months while the shooting was on, uh, just down the road from where we're filming, and and really it's kind of like I'm in then, uh, and but I'm still uh, always thinking, okay, so what happens when this finishes? You know, I, I'm, I'm now I'm stuck in the US again. Do I go back and do stand up? So um, thankfully, it's just the universe really comes down to my performances in these things. So the Concord's performance for me, was, was obviously big, and they called it um, the Summer of Murray on the, in the New York Times. It was on the wow. news, newspaper, and they had a picture of me on there, and I was this new thing they'd found that they thought was really, uh, really different, and, and, and people used to think, where, where does this voice, where does he come from? Is he a real, is that really how he sounds? You know, and it turns out, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and that's why I've been still making money on this voice ever since then, because I'm not going to change it. Yeah. This is my, this it's is the my, money maker. this is my nugget. Yeah, absolutely. And so things were heading off there. The, a big, you know, the director of um, uh, Yes Man wanted me. And then who else picked up on the, on the, uh, on the bandwagon? And that was uh, Sir Richard Curtis. And so he, he, uh, saw my work on Concords and wanted me for his uh, The Boat That Rocked movie, um, which, uh, you know. Yeah, about pirate radio. And exactly, yeah, which was movie. my next big thing. And so I landed that, went back to England. It's been like a real rock and roll ride. Mm. And through all this, you know, I, I could I could just like put the stand up aside. And then from that, I, I think um, I may get the order on this wrong, but that's when I started getting offers from like Nike and then HP 
Um, and then, What's the HP thing? So that's uh, Hewlett Packard. Yeah, Hewlett yeah. Packard. Uh, it was for computers, right? Uh, Touchscreen um, home computers. Okay, and another commercial. That, that yeah. was a big. Right. That was a big payer. Um, that, that stuff's probably on YouTube. Yeah. And so I got that, and then I came back to New Zealand and got two degrees as well. And so everyone oh, the giant to, logo. Well, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Memorable. Yeah, and so it was kind of like, oh wow, this is all coming together. I might be able to buy a house. Yeah. So, so, there, <laughs> there, was, so there was never a point where we, we you, you and your wife Rosie, who's your manager, uh, you, you, you've got a young kid or two young kids that, that you thought, fuck, we need to go back home and forget about this dream. No, never. Right. No. So I, I suppose there was a way you always had. Like a backstop, like you can go. You can always go. Well, I've always got stand up, or yeah. I can always go to New Zealand, and I've got a fan base there. Yeah, I, I liken it to um, riding dragons in the ionosphere. So you're basically right <laughs> up there, and you're on a dragon, and you're actually running alongside on the on the on the on the on the top of it, right. uh, and you get closer to the head of the dragon, and you're right up there, and you're holding onto the reins of this massive dragon, and you realise, oh my gosh, this dragon's going to fall out underneath me. So you're looking up, and you're finding another dragon that's out there in the sky, and you leap over to it, and sometimes it's a side leap, or sometimes it's a smaller dragon, but you're still up there, and and you're just riding dragons until you until you fall off. Mm. Wow, I just uh, came I, up I, with that. I, I, I get what you're saying. It's a terrible analogy, though. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. People are going to be quoting that for years. So through, through this, um, how's, how's your mental health been through the years? It's always been always been rock solid? Yeah, pretty uh, chipper. Nothing nothing gets you down? You don't... Uh, well, you know, looking at uh, my un- undiagnosed issues with mm. my spectrum, of course, I'm very sensitive. So anything... Uh, will get me down where people don't uh, jump on board what I'm thinking or don't like me. I don't like that. That hurts, uh, as it does every human, but it can hurt highly sensitive people way more. Mm. So, you know, there's moments that, you know, when I hear or see things that can get me down. But over time, you know, you What, what, what do you mean, like, in terms of, like, comments and reviews things like and that? that. Well, yeah, reviews, comments... People saying things that you overhear some people or someone tells you, right. oh, bloody, this guy hates you or these people don't, yeah. you know? So all I've ever heard about heard about you, and you sort of even referenced this yourself just before, the, the only criticism you'd hear from haters, if you want to call them that, in New Zealand is that you're a one-trick pony. Right, right, yeah. They always just, he just does the voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've already described how many tricks I have on this podcast. <laughs> I think it's more than one. I but, can ride dragons. But when you hear something like that, does, 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 does that hurt? Or are you like, well, fuck you, I've done no, very that, well with... No, one-trick pony doesn't isn't hurt at no. all because I'm not a one-trick pony. And if I am, yeah. that pony's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very well-fed pony. Yeah. What, no, it's kind of negative of stuff like people like, I don't deserve it or whatever. Or like, <laughs> why should it happen to him? And look, I don't have the answers for that. I came from nothing. You know, I, brought, I was brought up by mum who was on the benefit and we lived in a, a two-bedroom flat. Uh, she had a room. I had a room. Uh, she didn't have a job. Uh, and I didn't have anything. And so I just had dreams. And so why can't a kid who... Uh, didn't come from anything, make it through his uh, manifestation of of what he believed he wanted out of life. Mm. You know, I think that's where people get upset because they can't manifest it or that's not happening for them. And it's because for whatever reason, it's all societal and circumstantial where you are and what your next move is. And, um, you know, I, I just put the blinkers on early and looked at what I'm capable of doing Tried different things, 
Uh, I wanted to be a ranger for, for a long time, you know, a wildlife ranger, mainly because I can classify all the different animals from their different <laughs> areas. <laughs> but look, you find... Yeah, maybe, maybe zookeepers. <laughs> <laughs> you find who you are and you've, you get the closest um, people who are going to help you and they're your true friends and they've got your back as you've got them and they uh, help you uh, realise your dream. And, um, you know, my, and you, and you don't have just one dream. My initial dream, you know, was a ranger and then a, being a soldier, being an officer in the military or the air force, air force was the first one. I watched Top Gun and I thought that's going to be me. And then I realized, no, I got an F in physics and, uh, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to be a fighter pilot. Okay. Next. Uh, what about a soldier? Next best thing. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, no, no good at that really. Uh, apart from the marching and, uh, Morse code's not fashionable. Uh, a journalist was the next one, you know, because, uh, you know, my favorite book series, Tintin, he saw the world, he had a cute dog, much like you. Uh, but, um, you know, that was <laughs> I, I went to university. Turns out it was a postgraduate degree. So I had right. to get a degree and then do journalism. And by then I got bored of it and uh, and realised and uh, that comedy was was the strongest thing in my essence, was mm. in my heart, was entertaining and doing funny voices and making people laugh. And so at that point, New Zealand had caught up with me. There was an industry, there was a comedy club, people were doing it, and then was Really, the, the the groundbreaker was the was the international festivals. Yeah. People were coming here, fantastic comics from Europe, and saying, "Hey, Reese, come and join us back over there." And uh, and that was the rest was history. Mm. So, who would shit on you? Is it only New Zealanders that you're talking about? It does seem like a yes. that New Zealand tall poppy only thing. New Zealanders, yeah, that's the only people that have ever tried to pull me down. Well, that's terrible because yeah, I, I, th- I think uh, someone someone like you should be applauded. And, but I and, am and as look- well, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, all the four names that I mentioned before, Brendan, Jermaine, Tyker, and yourself, it's inspirational. Yeah. And surely it says to people, shit, I, I can do this. Mm-hmm. If this guy can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Rather than he doesn't deserve it. And look at all the good musicians we have in this country and, and, how, and how far they go. And, and comics to a certain degree, we're mm. catching up there as well. You know, we have some names that are really making it Rose Matafeo mm. overseas. Yeah. Um, so it can be done. Uh, but you do have to do the time. And, and there's a thing here now, especially with comedy – whereby a lot of the younger ones are, are, are jumping on TV and getting jobs here and are settling for that. And there's no, uh, there's no way up from there. You know, you've got to go out and become a much better comic than you would be just in this country. Yeah. See the world and then take those skills. And, you know, this is just me teaching everyone what I did, but you know, it's not the only way. But here you can kind of get a job earlier on. It was not available when I was coming up through the ranks ranking uh, in this country, but now it is. But then they can settle for like a, a radio job yeah. or a TV job whereby, um, you know, it's a pretty average salary. Mm. And then they go, oh, now what? Oh, we could do that one holiday a year. But look, honestly, the amount of money that gets thrown at you in America is ridiculous. Mm. And the UK, the amount of um, gates that are opened, uh, at least they were now that Brexit's, maybe those gates are shutting slightly, <laughs> but uh, to other things. Uh, and also just the, the best of the industry over there, you know, being being involved with with um, the best talent that you could ever imagine on the planet. And here it's just, you know, you're limited. But And also it takes, look, how much does it cost to get a house in this country? It doesn't make any sense. Oh, it's absurd, it's ridiculous. Right? It's so absurd. You're, you're striving to, to be... Uh, mediocre so that you can almost buy a house. It's just it's like I'm not telling everyone to leave, but um, 
you know, it's, it's something needs to be done uh, in, in that regard. And look, it's not my forte. I just decided right from the beginning that I was going to leave this place. Oh, there's my alarm. Looks like we're out of time, folks. <laughs> That's have, the Stranger Things. Oh, is it? Wow, is that a Stranger Things watch? Yeah, yeah. Where from? Stranger Things. <laughs> Timex. I got it in America. Right, awesome. Do you do you have to wrap up? How much? How no, much no, 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 no. I just put that on. Well, I'm, I'm loving I'm loving this so much. Sorry, it has been an hour of your time. So you, mentally, you're in a, you're in a great place, which is mm. which is bloody lucky. Um, do you have any like tips or tools to, to to make sure your mental health stays in a good place? Can you can you feel if it's getting out of kilter or off balance? Yeah, I think that the number one thing is is friends and family, and yeah. they're always uh, your your best allies. Um, Friends in particular, your close ones have always got your back. Family can be annoying, but <laughs> family will always be there for you. So even yeah. if your friends have got to go away or something's happened, you've had a falling out, your family is just going to be, it's your safety blanket. So, you know, but the family, for families, you have to support each other and don't get like um, annoyed with each other or or feel um, not bothered about each other, which is quite a Kiwi thing as well. We We need to kind of... Uh, raise each other up mm. and kind of be positive. And, you know, there's a lot of negativity in this country. And I think uh, one of the great things in America I found was just so much optimism. And they are really proud people. They love, you know, how they're on top of things and, and, and where they can go. And, you know, no isn't really a word they use much over there. And I found that refreshing for me because here in New Zealand, you know, it's like, oh, do you deserve that? Or you'll never get that, mate, or whatever. And then when you go to, you know, the old mother country over to Great Britain, that's where we bloody got it from because they're all they're all <laughs> miserable. upset, miserable <laughs> bastards. Oh, don't come over here. You're from a colony. You're not going to, you know. Uh, but they, I think it is changing. Younger generations are getting better. Certainly the older ones were more miserable. Uh, but um, yeah, I think um, in terms of um, um, mental health, it's friends and family uh, are your are your best allies, and have more than one thing going on. And that's what I really love is like, for example, yeah, I do the acting, I do stand up, um, I write the children's books, um, I enjoy um, keeping fit. It's a really big thing, as you know, for mental health. For oh, sure. huge, absolutely, huge. yeah, keep fit, and people don't still don't really realize that mm. but that's probably in the top three things you could do is just keep fit because you then you're taking an hour out of your day to not think about any of those other things and concentrate on building up what your your body or, or, mm. or exercising and uh, listen to some awesome music music's really important uh <clears throat> your favorite bands your happy your happy playlist that gets you through the day and and then the other thing is uh yeah have, have many things to do and so i've got my podcast which is my Labor of Love uh, with my my two good buddies, where we just talk about cryptozoological creatures and weird news. Get a get a plug in for it. I find the best way to plug a podcast is on another podcast. Yeah, right. So what's the name so of it? It's called The Cryptid Factor, right? And it's on uh, all the all the different platforms. You, that's been going for a while, right? It's been going for yeah since two thousand and eight. That one. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. It started off as a radio show right. on the actual radio, and then we got kicked off into another radio station, and then we ended up in another radio station, and then luckily along the way we started recording them, and then podcasts became a thing, and now we're now we're Ooh. a podcast that uh, that has just kept going, and it's been it's been a like a side hustle, and so yeah, I think Do you make some money out of it. No, there's no money. No. I say hustle, and uh, just because I couldn't think of another term. 
but it's just like a side <laughs> love, I guess. Right, so something right. you do. A hobby. A hobby. Well, that, I could have just said it's a hobby. Uh, but I like the term side hustle. <laughs> that implies there's some money coming. Oh, in. Just, is it a money yeah, thing? Is it? Oh, so. okay. Uh, so it's, there's no, there's not much money. We do have a Patreon where if you want to join, you can get more content and things right. like that. But that money we save up, and that we give that to uh, Buttons if he wants to come over to LA. Uh, he's the the producer of the podcast. Right. Um, but anyway, basically. Um, yeah, have a lot of things going on because if you're focused on one thing and, and that gets you down, um, then you kind of where do you go? Mm. And so you've got to have um, you've got to have fun things, happy happy places that you can cross into, and that and that's it's so simple. Like with with books, or I have happy TV shows that if I'm down, I'll go and click that on, you know. And um, I don't know that those are my little tips. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that because I, 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 I think with mental health, there's no sort of one size fits all. So if it's a, yeah. if it's a show that makes you happy, like Love Island or whatever, then Boom. go yeah, ahead and watch it. Yeah. What's your inner voice like? You, you seem like very self assured. Do you do you, do you beat yourself up much, or are you quite kind to yourself? Um, I think yeah. I think my inner voice. That's a good question. I think it's um, always on track, and uh, you know, telling me. Where I want to be, it's telling me to be cautious and telling me to um, just keep alert, don't put a foot wrong, especially these days with all the things that are going on. Um, and Don't put a foot wrong in terms of like what things you're doing. Get, don't public. get cancelled. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. right. But that's not a big one for me, but it's kind of like just – Yeah, I, I can't imagine you do anything. Like I've, No, not like yeah. that. But I think just be just keep relevant yeah. and be aware of – uh, society and just uh, in terms of like saying the wrong thing or mm. or um, which is you know because we're from a generation that uh, we have to learn a bit more than the younger ones do sure. with, with how we use words and things like that and we always we say the wrong thing all of a sudden and then people will go hey you can't say that with oh sorry I'm from 1974 <laughs> sorry <laughs> you know things like that um, oh that's great because uh, that clip that I referenced before the Vanity Fair one there's a scene in there where. The joke is kind of that everyone in New Zealand knows everyone in New Zealand. Yeah. And Taika shows you a selection of photos, and there's um, Peter Jackson, uh-huh. Jacinda Ardern, and one of Melanie Linsky. Yeah. Do all Kiwis in Hollywood know each other? Pretty much. Or no, Pretty definitely much. know of each other and have seen each other once or twice, yeah. if not regularly. Yeah. yeah. Do you know this woman? Yes, of course. What's her name again? Melanie Linsky. And you you mentioned you mentioned that you've you've met Melanie Linsky once, so it's um it's perfectly fair that you wouldn't mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily remember her, yeah. even though she does have a huge body of work. But um, you, you sort of were you expecting that to be cut out, by the way? Because no? uh, no. you, you sort of whispered to Tiger, "Who is that?" And he's Did like, I? Yeah, yeah. And he's no, like, it's Melanie Linsky." I didn't recognise her. Right. Uh, See, if, if that was if that was me, I'd be I'd be beating myself up for. For, for days over that, oh, I, really? I'd be out on a run and I'd be like, "Oh, you did that Melanie Linsky thing," but yeah. no, you're um, and, and I, I shouldn't, yeah. But it's just how my brain works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, I know the beating up thing. You that does happen, you know, when you when you you miss an opportunity or you. I think that's very human for mm. us to. We're, we're we're very fallible and we we do stuff up all the time, but uh, you've got to when you feel yourself, um, when you feel as though you've stuffed up. Uh, you've got to really move on. You can't dwell, and it's it's yeah. You've got to move on from the dwelling. You, you're good at that. 
yeah, compartmentalizing things, yeah, putting them in the past. Yeah, yeah, I go straight into uh, my classification of animals, and I'm away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where does where does this all come from? The, this like I don't know, st- this mental strength and focus that you have has it just always been there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right from the early age, uh, being a kid, I just knew that I wanted to get somewhere in the world and take it on and um, and never give up. I mean, I'm an Aries, so maybe my star sign has something to do with it. Um, I have a lot of uh, fire in my heart and my soul, and I really want to, I guess, yeah, get things done, and and I want, I want to have a good time. Mm. Yeah, while I'm here, you know, we may only be here once, and uh, I think, I think, right from the the essence of it was, like I said earlier on the show, at the beginning, you know, I felt like I'm a mistake and that I'm not supposed to be here, and I feel like I'm weird. And so I'm thinking like, right, if I'm, if I'm an alien and I've just landed, I'm going to conquer this planet and then um, and, and prove to everyone that I'm not a mistake mm. or that mistakes are the most magical things you can get. Yeah, but I, th- I think everyone feels weird though, don't they? As you get older, don't you think you realise no. that everyone feels exactly the same way? No? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't, I don't, I haven't spoken to everyone. Yeah, and we've been here an hour, and you haven't asked me if I feel. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I feel like everyone does. Okay, so so what's what's next for you? Are you much of like a planner, like a goal setter, or do you just sort of take opportunities as they come and assess them? Yeah, you can't you can't really. I've got to a point now where you know the goals have been achieved to a certain degree for sure, and uh, so now I'm just like hanging on to this to this current dragon and waiting for the next (laughs) phone to ring. So, you know, you're still, as an actor, you're still, you know, only as good as your last performance and you're waiting for the next opportunity. And, you know, these are coming. Uh, and, and, you know, I did Our Flag Means Death and it was a success. So I'm, I'm okay. I can, I can relax. We've got a second series. So I'm doing that. I'm filming that this year. And uh, I'm just kind of enjoying, trying to enjoy um, the place I'm in right now and, and be happy with, with who I am. Yeah, uh, I feel like you are. Good. Do I look like that? I feel like yeah. that. It's the glow. Maybe that's the glow. The glow up. Oh no, you just you, you look very very content and right. and assured and and happy. And oh, I, I and I suppose the life that you've created for yourself and your family means that your kids at the ages they're at now, twelve and sixteen. Yes. Means the the window of years that you've got with them as kids is running out. It's running out. And you get to spend this time with them, which is a luxury. Absolutely. Yeah. And and Rosie, to her credit, she's very involved in making sure that you know these years with the kids. Uh, the best they can be, and we're full of memories, and that we can provide and all that kind of stuff, and and give them these great opportunities, which also the states offers them as well as as well as here. So, yeah, we're in we're in a good we're in a good place, but you know the world isn't in a great place, and so there's still that like volatile situation of like what's going to happen, what's what's China doing, what's Russia doing, mm. you know? Oh, we've got New Zealand, I know. But then, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I because I you know, it's my military stuff again. I'm always looking at things like your know, strategies and what, what plans yeah. are, countries are thinking of, and then I go, nope, move back to your happy place. You know, you're a pirate. Woo-hoo! <laughs> you know, entertain. Yeah, no, you can't. You can't like dwell on 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 negative stuff like that. But um, you never know what, what's around the next corner. So I think now more than ever, you know, pandemic, everything like that is just enjoy yourself on a day-to-day basis and just take each day as it comes um, and be thankful for the things that you do have. Yeah. Oh, not, probably a nice place to end it, I think. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. I've, I, I don't know how many times uh, I've interviewed you on the radio, maybe 
Maybe 20. A few, yeah. Um, but I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, yeah. it's been awesome to have this, a nice, big, in-depth one. Yeah, this is what I enjoy about podcasts. You can, you can go to places that you wouldn't necessarily go to on the radio chat. Yeah. I, like if, if it was radio, I'd have to ask you if, if you've had like Rita Ora over for oh, dinner with yeah, Taika. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't need to. Have you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks, bro. Thanks very much for making it all the way through that episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey with Reese Darby. Really hope you liked it. Use your spiel at the end of the podcast um, if you like it. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast from or take a moment and uh, give it a rating or even a review if you want, if um, the podcast platform that you listen to allows you to do so. If you're a regular listener, uh, like you listen every week, I can't tell you how much I appreciate having you along for this journey. And another little favour you can do if you want, if you can think of someone that you think may like this podcast or get something out of it, um, please do recommend it to them or share it on your social media channels. I can't underestimate just how effective that word of mouth marketing is. All right, thanks very much. Really appreciate you being here. Hope to see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.